And I want to deal this morning with, as it's that particular time of the year, to look at the miracle uh, of Christmas, the miracle that is Christmas. And it's so easy for us to use the word, and we do use it quite lightly, the word miracle. You know, everything becomes a miracle. But the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ into the world was one of the greatest of God's miracles. As we we are reading, as John was reading to us this morning, um, what we were seeing in the reading from Matthew's Gospel, um, three passages of Scripture, three prophecies that were fulfilled. And in fact, if we'd, if we'd read further and if we read through the whole of Matthew's Gospel, what we'd find is uh, almost in every page there are prophecies that are fulfilled. Prophecies that have been made hundreds, thousands of years ago by the ancient Hebrew prophets. And uh, even the ones that Matthew presents to us throughout his Gospel are just a, a kind of uh, smattering of them. What we find also is allusions to the ancient prophets as well. So that what is happening in the coming of Jesus is not something that ought to have been unexpected. It's something that was prophesied. And it's interesting when you read through the old, particularly through the book of Isaiah, that Isaiah says in chapter 41 verse 21, God says, through the prophet Isaiah, speaks to the, uh, uh, to the nations and the gods of nations and says, set forth your case. Tell us something that's happened in the past or tell us something that's to come. And God lays down a gauntlet to the, to the, uh, to, to the religions of the surrounding nations Do something to prove that you are really God. Do something to prove that you really do have power. Do something to prove that you are true. And we'll listen to you. And it's quite interesting as as you look through uh, through the many religions in the world, particularly the, the ancient religions, one of the things that's missing from them is prophecy. You won't find any prophecies in the ancient Egyptian religions. You won't find any prophecies in the ancient Mesopotamian religions. You won't find any prophecies in the Greek and Roman uh, mythologies. You won't find prophecy in the Norse mythologies. Completely missing. The only ancient religion that I know that presents prophecy, or at least people say it presents prophecy, is, is the Mayan culture. And they apparently said that the world was going to uh, end in 2012. So they certainly proved that they, that they were true, didn't they? But you, you find, particularly amongst those who claim to be Christians, that they try to prove that they're right, the various cults and so on, by setting forth prophecies. And I remember the first time I read the Book of Mormon. In the Book of Mormon, there's a, there's a book called Uh, Alma, and in the book of Alma, chapter uh, 7, verses 9 and 10, it says, Behold, he comes upon the earth, and he will be born of Mary. Jesus Christ will be born in Jerusalem, 
The Book of Mormon was written in 1830. Over 1,900 years after Jesus was born, it got, it got his birthplace wrong. The prophet Micah, as we were reading this morning, was being read, read, uh, wrote 700 years before Jesus was born. But you, Bethlehem, though you were least among the princes of Judah, out of you shall he come forth, who is to rule my people Israel. Michael got, Micah got it right 700 years before Jesus was born. Joseph Smith got it wrong 1,800 years after Jesus was born. That's one of the great, um, great evidences for the truth of the Bible. That not only is there prophecy, but it comes to pass. And it's suddenly at the birth of Jesus that the prophecies suddenly come thick and fast. They're all being fulfilled. They're suddenly coming to pass in this little child that, that, that's born. And in Galatians chapter 6, verse 6, John, uh, sorry, Paul tells us, he says, uh, in the fullness of time, when the, when the right time had come, God, God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law that he might redeem those who were under the law. In the fullness of time, at the right time, everything came together. And what I want to do this morning is just to take you through the Bible and show you the, the, the give you a, an understanding of the prophecies. Some of you will know some of these things. Um, uh, and, and some of you may not. Uh, there's some notes here if you want to, because you'll forget most of what I've said this morning. Um, so you've got some notes just to sort of, you know, stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, as, as Peter says. In, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, this is really what has been called the first preaching of the gospel. The Proto-Evangelium, as, uh, as Martin Luther put it, the first preaching of the gospel, where God makes a declaration after a man has fallen, he makes a declaration to the serpent and says, I will put enmity, I'll put hostility between you and the woman, between her seed and your seed. He will crush your head and you will bruise his heel. So there, God, God envisages this cosmic conflict that is going to take place in which the seed of a woman will one day crush the head of the serpent. The serpent will strike his heel, but he will end up by having a death wound um, struck to him by the, by the seed of the woman. And that's something you find all the way uh, through, through the rest of the scripture, all of the prophecies that follow from there are all kind of expansions of that great prophecy. And uh, with the coming of the Lord Jesus, this is the seed. God, when the fullness of time came forth, God sent forth his son made of a woman. The seed of the woman shall crush your head. What we find as we... Um, as we look through the scriptures, is that that promise, which is, which is quite vague really, the promise says that what will happen is some woman, somewhere, in some place, will give birth to a son, 
And that son, that, that seed of the woman, that child that comes forth from the woman, not, it's not the son, is not the, uh, not the seed of a man and a woman, but of a woman. And we were reading, we were reading this morning, weren't we? John was reading for us. Um, the, the virgin shall give, uh, shall bring forth a son. And she'll call, call his name Emmanuel, God with us. But it's, it, it's vague, and all the devil knew from that point onwards, until things start to become specific, that one day a woman is going to give birth to a, a son, and that son is going to crush his head. He's going to undo all that the, the devil did. And so as we look through, we don't find any more prophecies of this seed of the woman till immediately after the flood. And what happens after the flood in Genesis chapter 9, verses 29, is that God says, Blessed be the God of Shem, three sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Blessed be the God of Shem. May God enlarge Japheth. Most of us here today are descendants of Japheth. And uh, he, may he dwell in the tents of Shem. In other words, there is go the, the seed of the woman is actually going to come out of the three sons of Noah. It is through Shem. And from Shem has come the Jewish people and the Arab people. The Hamites migrated to Africa. Uh, but it is through Shem. And Shem is going to bless the nations. And the, the descendants of Japheth are going to dwell in the tents of Shem. They're going, to, they're going to live, as it were, together with Shem. What we find when we turn to Genesis chapter 12 is a certain descendant of Shem named Abram is called by God. And God makes a promise to him and he says, I will bless you. I'll make your name great, I'll make you a great nation, and in you shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. In other words, things are now beginning to narrow down, and it's not just going to be some woman from somewhere at some time, but what is going to happen is the woman is going to come from the tribe of, from the nation of Abraham. What we find when we turn to, uh, when, is that Abraham has two sons, Ishmael and Isaac. Isaac is the older, but God is going to take Ishmael and God, sorry, God is going to make Isaac the one through whom blessing is going to come. Isaac has two sons, uh, Esau and Jacob, and it's going to be Jacob that is going to be the son through whom the prophecy will ultimately come to pass. It's interesting when you see that. As God begins to narrow things down, it means even though, even though the people might not understand, the devil does. What we see in the, in the choosing of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob it explains to us why there has been so much hatred of the Jewish people down throughout the centuries. Because in the days before Jesus was born, Satan knew that it was going to be through the Jewish people that the Messiah was going to come. 
And so what he tried to do was to destroy the Jewish people, first of all in Egypt, wipe them out by um, either working them to death or throwing the, uh, the, the male children uh, into the Nile where they would either dry, uh, drown or be eaten by crocodiles. And then we find at the exile um, that uh, in Babylon that uh, Haman stirs up the king of, of uh, Persia, Artaxerxes, to destroy all the Jewish people and attempt a complete genocide. And if Pharaoh or if Haman had succeeded in doing that, you and I wouldn't be here today because it was through, it's through the Jewish people. It was through Israel, through, through Abraham's people, that the Messiah was to come. If Abraham's people was wiped out, the Messiah wouldn't come. And you and I should be, in a sense, should celebrate um, the Feast of Purim with the Jewish people. The Jewish people uh, today celebrate joyfully uh, that deliverance from the attempt by Haman to actually destroy the whole Jewish nation. If Jesus hadn't come, it would be as C.S. Lewis puts it in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, always winter but never Christmas. Can you imagine that? Always Christmas, always winter but never Christmas. And then we find in, Isaiah, in Genesis 49, verse 20, as Jacob is blessing his children, he pronounces prophecies and blessings on his sons. But he, he specifies Judah and says um, that um, out of Judah, the, the, the scepter will not... The kingly scepter will not depart from Judah until Shiloh comes, until he comes to whom it belongs, and to him shall be the gathering of the peoples. Not just the gathering of the people, but the gathering of the peoples. Now, uh, most of us uh, here at Five Head are uh, from, we're from England, but you know, we have people here who are from other nations as well, from other peoples. And we gather together to the, we gather together to the king. Every time we come here on Sunday mornings, whenever we gather together, we are a fulfillment of that prophecy of, of Genesis chapter 49, verse 10. To him shall be the gatherings of the people. This is amazing. Every nation you go to in the world, even those where Christianity is banned, there are people there who worship the king. There are those there who have gathered together to the king. And what is wonderful is the people, the, the people that God calls his own, the Jewish people, are now in greater numbers beginning to turn to their king. It, Muslims in greater numbers are beginning to turn to the king. They're gathering to him. People in other nations are turning to, to, to Jesus. People in different religions are turning to Jesus. And so it must go on. But you, you might say, well, okay, 
anti-Semitism existed before Jesus was born, but now he's come. Why are the Jewish people still hated? Because in Romans chapter 11, Paul says that the Jewish people still have a part to play in the purposes of God. If God has blessed the Gentiles so much by Israel's rejection of the gospel, what's it going to be like when Israel receives the gospel, when Israel turns to their Messiah and begins to fulfill the purpose for which God called them? Because, Paul says, the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. God has called the Jewish people to be a blessing to the nations. And because he's made, because that call, because that blessing is irrevocable, the Jewish people still have a part to play. And the devil knows that. And so he continues to persecute the Jewish people to this day. Now in 2 Samuel chapter 7, God makes a promise to David, who is a descendant of Judah, who is a descendant of uh, Jacob, who is a descendant of Isaac, who is a descendant of uh, Abraham, who is a descendant of Noah, who is, uh, um, and who is a descendant uh, of Adam. And uh, he says to him that he will build him a house. He will give him a son. Uh, and this one will be God's anointed. He will be the one that God has chosen. It will be through him that blessing will come. God has given these promises these prophecies and you some of you know that for uh, 33 years I worked with um, I, I worked with a mission to the Jewish people and what I used to find was Jewish people absolutely astonished when they discovered some of these prophecies there are many people who think that the Jewish people um uh, the, the, the Jewish people know their Bible inside out, back to front, upside down. The, the, the tragedy is that they don't. It's one of the great tragedies of the Jewish people. I remember some years ago in Worthing in the south of England, uh, I met a lady called Doris. And a very, very sweet lady. And when I met her, she, she, she was telling me about how terrible the world is. That there's war and uh, there's crime and the politicians are corrupt and all, all this kind of thing, you see. And after a while I said to her, so Doris, is there an answer to it? And Doris immediately, good Jewish lady that she was, said, oh yes. She said, when the Messiah comes, he'll put everything right. And she was very excited about this. Suddenly turned from this kind of, you know, full of misery and, and so on. No, when the Messiah comes, he'll put, he'll put it all right. So Doris, how will you know the Messiah when he comes? And she looked at me and she said, I don't know. So I said, so suppose your next door neighbor comes to you tomorrow and says to you, hey, Doris, guess what? I'm the Messiah. How would you know? And she said, hmm. Well, I suppose what will happen is that when he comes, God will open the heavens and he'll tell us. And I said, you're absolutely right, Doris. But I said, don't you think he's given us 
an understanding in the scriptures about how to recognize the Messiah. Oh, the scripture, she said. I was top of the class in scripture when I was at school. It was my favorite subject. Then you'll know where Messiah is going to be born. No. What do you mean? Well, Micah chapter 5 verse 2. But you, Bethlehem, though you were least among the princes of Judah, out of you shall he come forth who is to rule my people Israel. And Doris said, does it say that in, Isaac, in, in Micah? I said, yes, it does. Did you know that the Messiah is going to be born to a virgin, Doris? Uh, no. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bring forth a son, and shall call his, they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Did you know that he's going to die by having his hands and feet pierced? No. Yeah, it says in Psalm 22, they have pierced my hands and feet. They've cast uh, glots for my garments. They've parted my clothing among them. Did you know that he'll rise again from the dead, Doris? No. Well, we're told in Psalm 16, the Messiah says, you will not leave my soul in the grave, neither will you suffer your Holy One to see corruption. You'll show me the paths of life. And Doris said to me, Look, I, I, I do know that somewhere in the Bible it says that the Messiah will, will come to Jerusalem riding on, uh, on, on a, a great white horse. So they're thinking of Zechariah chapter 9 verse 9. That's the one she said, Zechariah chapter 9 verse 9. It actually says he'll ride into Jerusalem on a donkey, Doris. No, 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 no. I mean, you can't have the king driving into a Buck or the queen driving into buckingham palace on a mini can you you know but she's got a she's got to ride a, a rolls royce and that's the way that's the way doris was thinking no no and she said to me i've got a bible upstairs i'm going to read it tonight i remember some years ago i was asked to do a series of um, talks on judaism um to a primary school and uh, for the first three years that I did this, um, you know, I just basically told them about Judaism. And I thought, I think it was after four years, I thought, I'm going to push the boat out here. And so as I told the, the, them about the, uh, the Jewish people, and I talked about the Messiah, and I said, you know, the, 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 what the Bible says about the Messiah is this. He'll be born in, in Bethlehem. He'll be born to uh, a virgin. He'll, have his, he'll die by having his hands and feet pierced. And he'll rise again from the dead. And at the question time, the first person to raise their hand was the headmistress. So I said, yes. She said, did you say that the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem? Yeah. Did you say that he'll be born of a virgin? Yeah. Did you say... That he'll die by having his hands and feet pierced, yes. Did you say he'll rise? It, it says in the Bible, the Old Testament, that he'll rise from the dead, yeah. But that sounds like Jesus. It does, doesn't it? <laughs> so why don't Jewish people believe in him? And I felt like saying, why don't you believe in him? <laughs> But you see, you know, there are people who will, who will tell you that biblical prophecy is so ambiguous you can make it mean anything you want. Because they think biblical prophecy is like Nostradamus. It can mean anything. 
remember talking to a guy called Ernie and he was telling me, yeah, the Bible, you know, you make it mean what you, you, you want it to mean and so on. And uh, I managed to eventually sort of just cut him off as he took a breath. I said, Ernie, can I read something to you? He said, read something from the Bible. I said, yeah. I said, they have pierced my hands and my feet. They've cast lots on my garment. They've parted my vesture among them. What are you reading that to me? That's the crucifixion. Yeah, but who wrote it? Well, I, I'm no expert on the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It was written by King David a thousand years before Jesus was born. And Ernie went like this. About three seconds. And then he recovered his composure again. But the reason I'm telling you the, those things is that when you are challenged, when you are told that the Bible can mean whatever you want it to be, and it's so ambiguous that it can mean anything, and it has no more power and authority than the writings of Nostradamus. And in the writings of Nostradamus, you can find Kermit the Frog on, frog on the Moon. When people tell you that, all you have to do simply is read from the Bible to them. It has that authority. The reason people say that kind of thing is because they don't know the Bible. And you know, when you think of Christmas, isn't it interesting that Christmas traditionally is the time of pantomimes? Because people think that the Bible and the story of Jesus is a kind of fairy story. And so it's a time of not just of angels, but of fairies and all that kind of thing. And sometimes I think we as Christians encourage that kind of idea. The, the, the way we deal with it. Christmas is the greatest miracle that ever took place since the creation of the world. Superseded only by Easter. Thank God, it's no longer always, win always uh, winter but never Christmas. Christmas has come, and Jesus has come, and he's not just for Christmas, he's for life.